welcome to Ask Me About K-Pop, the essential guide for recent converts and seasoned fans alike. My name is Shannon. And I'm Angelica. And welcome to the show. It is time to finally, something we said we've been doing, would do for a long time. We're going to revisit a very old episode of the podcast. Because mm-hmm. we've been doing this for four plus years now. It's true. Time has passed. It's so true. K-pop history has evolved. Yeah, and we are now at a place, we're in a very different place now from where we were at the beginning of the show to be able to like look back and reevaluate certain pieces of K-pop history. Yes. So what we are talking about today, as suggested by someone in our episode suggestion channel. But like many moons ago, I think. A while ago. (laughs) Just finally getting around to it. Uh, We are going to revisit our third generation episode this was episode 20 it was called the next generation slash listener q a because we only talked for about 20 minutes about the third slash fourth generation because i listened to the episode again this weekend i even said like it feels too close yeah. but maybe in five years we'll be able to relook at this and it's been about four and a half so perfect time to revisit so and it definitely time. does feel much clearer to me it's still a generation delineation and it's still wishy-washy and it's still entirely opinion based Mm -hmm. but it feels clearer now than it did back then I agree I agree um and I think that like looking at the time period of groups that you pulled like you can see a very clear difference between the style of those groups and like the groups that are coming out now um and like we've talked about in our other generation episodes like the generations themselves are so debatable like when the when the cutoffs are um and I think like first and second are pretty well like approved everyone has a consensus of when those are but I think especially the end of the third gen and the start of the fourth gen can be a little bit blurry um so we're just gonna have sort of an open discussion about a particular time period and see look for trends um and see if we can find you know anything of note yeah and I also think something that makes that makes discussing the generations a little more complicated as the years go on is that like First gen was very well defined just because like it was very well defined, but also the average age or like average longevity of a group in the first gen was three years. Mm -hmm. Like true. Nobody was sticking around for a very long time, but now we're at a point where second gen groups are still putting out albums here in the fourth gen and like the, you know, groups keep going across generations in a way that they didn't originally. Totally. So then it makes it kind of weird to talk about because it's kind of like, like I was thinking when putting this together that like BTS is firmly a third generation group. Yes, that is like, yeah, clear. But so many of their biggest, most insane accomplishments have happened in during like when fourth gen groups are debuting. So like it's a third gen accomplishment mm-hmm. but it like happened, happened in a fourth gen the, time yeah, period yeah, yeah, totally so it just makes it all kind of like i don't know that's why it's kind of silly to talk about anyway because it's just like yeah i don't know yes but that's a really good point about the longevity of the groups because what that means is that like a lot like in the 
in the third gen, the period we're going to talk about now, like a lot of the records or like notable accomplishments that are happening for K-pop during the third generation, a lot of them are being accomplished by groups that debuted in the second gen. And so then again, just like you were saying, like in the fourth generation like our third gen groups that we're going to talk about they debuted in this third period but they're not going to really start making huge names for themselves until like the fourth gen is already underway so that's why I think it gets a little bit muddy yeah Mm -hmm. but I think that we're mostly like when talking about generations we're talking about like the period of time that you debuted in Mm -hmm. like agreed and that and that's what's important. But it's interesting because I think same like there's the cusp the cuspers mm-hmm. is like what's interesting to me. Because in this section, so we decided based on our previous episodes 18 and 19, the generations we looked at then. Today we're looking at like 2010-ish to about the end of 2016 because it is my personal feeling and opinion that in the same way that Boa is the last first generation idol who started the second generation, mm-hmm. Blackpink is the last third generation idol group to me because yeah, I yeah, think yeah. they just changed things like so much for like what the style and sound of a girl group is. And every girl group that mm-hmm. debuted after them, like ha- like it just started a new thing. Yeah. So to they're- me, that is a moment. I totally agree. I think that their influence, not only in like the music and choreo and like style of the girl group, but also in the way that they put out and promote music, it isn't the same as previous generations because like they usually until they put out that one album, like they had only ever put out singles and like that's really not how most k-pop groups work um and i but i think it is more common now for groups to especially like smaller groups that are just starting to like only put out a couple of songs they might not necessarily release a whole ep i don't know there's just a lot about the way that blackpink i think is marketed and promoted that sets them apart from the things that came before and because they were so successful made such a huge influence on the groups that came after that I think they're a reasonable cusp yeah so that's like to that's to me where this Mm -hmm. generation more or less ends NCT kind of debuted around the same time and they feel like a good last third gen yes I also agree yeah 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 the last the like last few groups on here are Pentagon, NCT, and Blackpink. And Blackpink, like I just said, but also NCT. Like, NCT has really changed the game in a lot of ways, both because of how many freaking people there are and, like, all the... And, like, the whole concept of the different groups and, like, the styling and the sound of NCT is, like, without a doubt, super influential to the fourth gen. Um, So, yeah, like, NCT and Blackpink definitely feel like they're sort of separating from the pack. And then even Pentagon is interesting because they're so self-produced um that like that makes them pretty different so like the the latter half of these third gens um but like something like monster x and 17 like those do feel very i don't know actually now that i say that out loud monster x and 17 yeah they are cuspers a little cuspers yeah like a little millennial gen z cusp 
Yes, <laughs> same with the beginning of this generation. Like similarly, I tried to format my notes and research for this episode the way that I did the first two. I'm way better at research now than I was <laughs> back then. So like that's something. But I tried to organize it a similar way and just kind of pull a list of like 25 of like, you know, popular the notable names. groups of yeah. the time to like look at them. And when I lay them all out, like in debut order, the 2010, early 2011 groups of Infinite, ZEA, Teen Top, Miss A, Sistar, and A-Pink, to me, even though we said time period-wise, like, that's a third gen, 2010, mm -hmm. the style and the feeling and everything about those groups feels second gen to me. Totally. Like, like it hadn't quite shifted yet mm -hmm. into like something else so it's like those are technical but like that cusp of like they still feel kind of second gen but it's 2000 it's the 2010s now so like i don't know mm -hmm. things are different yeah 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 but because they're right on that cusp they like still hold on to so many of the like styles and patterns and concepts of the previous group so i totally agree that those groups um feel a bit more second gen especially thinking about like a pink and sister and miss a one infinite i mean everything that's all of the groups that you just said um <laughs> but uh thinking specifically thinking about how like, the TV shows that they went on and stuff. Like, I think about A-Pink and I think about, like, them interacting with Shiny. And, like, I think about Sistar and I think about, like, them being on shows and interacting with, like, the 2 p.m.s. And, like, I don't know. I just, yeah, like, associate those Yeah, and Miss A to me felt like groups. a 2 p.m. Yeah. Like, part. And they were totally. always together. So I think totally. of them as being from the same time. Yeah, so I, like, associate them with a lot of second-gen groups in a way that the other groups that come out a little bit later in what we're calling the third-gen, I don't necessarily... I might associate them more with each other, and so they feel more, like, solidly third-gen. Um, do we want to just run down this list? Do you want to just tell us the the samplings of groups that you, that sure. you pulled to give us an idea Here's of who we're sampling. talking about? So after those cuspers after that I just mentioned, then we get into, we've got B1A4, Block B and Crayon Pop. Then we got our EXO, EXID, BAP, B2B, VIX, AOA, Newest, BTS, Eric Nam. I'll pause for a moment just to say I thought this was really interesting. BTS and Eric Nam both debuted in 2013. Mm -hmm. And that was like a really bare year for debuts. Like, I don't know what was going on, but they're just like groups were not being put out at the frequency that they usually are. Interesting. And of all of the groups that debuted that year, only BTS and Eric Nam like have survived to this wow. point. Wow. Like, interesting nobody else from that year hit at all which i just like thought was kind of wild to mm. see yeah that is really interesting then 2014 we've got got seven mama moo red velvet g friend monster x 17 twice astro pentagon nct and then i chose to cap it at blackpink i'm sure you could argue there's more cusp going forward but like uh, that's where I chose to cap it because another thing I was thinking is when you look at a lot of the groups that debuted in 2016 a ton of the girl groups from 2016 were um the groups that came from IOI members 
getting mm. to be put in groups. And to me, that also feels like such a fourth gen thing to be like, here's the TV show group. And then they split up and they made like 10 other groups and solo artists. And that's totally. a new like gen of idols. Here I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Once we start getting all of the groups and soloists from all the different produced seasons, I feel like that's a very fourth gen thing because even though, you know, like a group like Monster X or Pentagon, like those are sort of toward the latter half of what we just named in the timeline and those were both like competition groups, but it's so different from something like Produce where you get like the temporary, the X one, and then you have like all of these boys that scatter to the winds and they're in the way and the two and the whatever, like all of these other group cravities and right. et cetera, all these groups <laughs> that are just like popping out of the woodworks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is one thing that we did discuss in our original episode 20 when we weren't sure what to make of this generation. One thing we knew for sure is groups being formed on elimination style reality shows was absolutely a thing that yeah. like happened in this generation very often. In fourth gen or in third? In third gen. Because like Fix and Monster X and Twice and like all, and Winner and Icon and we Pentagon. We named them all in episode 20. But like all of these yeah, groups yeah, yeah, were yeah, formed yeah. on That's like true. TV shows, which was like a new thing. Like 2 p.m. and yes. 2 a.m. had done a TV show back in second gen, but they were kind of the only ones. It like wasn't common until this generation. Absolutely. Yeah, and then I wonder if maybe the fact that so many groups were formed and debuted in the third gen from those shows, I wonder if that helped influence like the creation and popularity of something like Produce, where you it's like where it's like, well, these shows are really popular and they created groups, like let's just widen it as opposed to like instead of being like buy one company, like let's just mm-hmm. grab all the companies. Let's take all the trainees. Yeah, exactly. And make these weird ass temp- temporary groups why not yeah but that's more for our fourth we'll save those produced discussions we'll for our fourth those. gen episode eventually we'll have to wait five more years it will have to, to wait do, another yeah. five years yes exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um so yeah getting into some kind of uh trends and tropes of this generation let's start by talking about third gen music videos all right great and if there's anything um, that makes them, that sets them apart from first and second gen music videos. Um, and I definitely think there is like a vibe of this generation's music video. And it just feels like um, like an extension of the standard K-pop box video set set by the second generation. Mm-hmm. But like now it's a little more grittier, like one of the things that I noticed is that from like 2010 to like 2015, all of the music videos had this like weirdly darkened contrast. Mm. Like everything was just kind of like muted and like green, like a late Harry Potter movie. Mm-hmm. Like even a music video where people were wearing colorful outfits or whatever, it like still had like a fucking gray little twinge on it. And I'm yeah, not sure yeah. why that was. But you can definitely see it when you, like, watch a bunch of them in a row. Um, And another thing I noticed when watching a bunch of them in a row, and I know this is just, like, music video stuff, but it, like, felt really apparent. 
is that the room, the box set that they were dancing in would be like vaguely foggy and mm. they would do that like camera flash strobe effect like constantly to just keep the whole thing kind of, I don't know, there's this K-poppy, this frantic-y K-poppy thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of very high energy. And I feel like there was maybe even, you could argue, like, a sort of franticness to a lot of the initial debut songs. I don't know. I feel like I'm just trying to think back to, like, the EXO debuts and, like, the newest debuts and the, like, GOT7 debut. And I don't know. Maybe I'm also just thinking of that, like idea that happens so constantly in this epi- in this gen where like the boy groups are supposed to be like tough in some way and then they like quickly lose that like fake hip-hop <laughs> concept yes. like a few minutes in or whatever or a few comebacks in they like lose that pretty quickly but I don't know there's sort of like a um when I look at the names of these boy groups in the boy groups in particular that develop that debuted in this gen, I feel like they are a little like harder or like tougher, like mm-hmm. sounds as well when they come out. So like maybe that correlates with the sort of muted color palette is that they're almost like coming out a little bit harder. So it's not like yeah, yeah, bubblegum yeah. and sweet and like Nuna, like, you're, no, we're like here to be like, I don't right. know, dystopia and like the world isn't great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which does like call back a little bit to like a first gen grit that's kind mm-hmm. of interesting because it's like yeah, a second gen was like hella polished, super bright. The popular girl groups were like we're happy, fun, good times in our short little skirts mm-hmm. and like skinny, pretty, shiny boys were popular. And then yeah, the third gen weirdly enough, like this is a bit of concept talk, but it's fine we'll get all over the place like we did in the original episodes <laughs> but like b1a4 block B- block b bap bts monster x all debuted with the exact same concept mm-hmm. that was like we have drop crotch pants yeah and little hats and we're gonna go like this and it's just so funny that they like all de- i just remember this time period of being like every single boy group looks exactly the same yeah even EXO, when they had, like, even though they did their, like, over-the-top theatrics with, like, Mama and History, they still wore, like, you know, the, like, hip-hop terry cloth, like, suit, sweatsuits or whatever, with, like, a right. thousand bandanas everywhere as they're, like, making their tree of life for Wolf or whatever. So it's, like, even if the music wasn't the same concept visually, it was the same. Yes. Mm-hmm. I feel like all the boy groups at this time like started out looking exactly the same. Totally. And then they all figured out kind of what their thing was as it went on, mm-hmm. but I Yeah, and that's being, really like, interesting deeply too like by. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's fun like to be able to look at how many of the groups that debuted in this gen are still around because we can see mm-hmm. the fun ways that they have evolved. Like EXO, BTS, like GOT7, uh, Monster X17, like they've all gone through like very big transformations, I think. Even the girl groups too, like Mama Moon, Red Velvet, and G-Friend. Oh, well, I guess G-Friend's not around anymore, sorry. Um, but like these groups also like went through a lot of different changes. Um, Twice is a great example. Yeah, Blackpink, sure. I think, is maybe 
be the one group on here that is probably the most consistent. I feel like they are looking at this list of groups that are still around. Like, they are the ones that I can say without a doubt, like, from beginning to end, they still make the same kind of music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've never changed their vibe. That's funny. That's interesting. It was such a strong vibe. (laughs) It made such an. It is such a strong vibe, and it's so successful. Like, why change it? it. Exactly. Um, yeah, but the music videos, yeah, I feel like in this era, like the box video still reigned supreme. Mm -hmm. We hadn't quite gotten into our like excessive CGI and like the first gen had excessive CGI, but it was like bad because CGI was new and cool. And now CGI is something that you can do really cheap and really easy. So it's Mm -hmm. like a way to like, I feel like music videos right now have so much like fucking cgi in them so that was not a thing really in third gen yet yeah yeah yeah. we're still getting more of the box videos but not a ton of music videos that are like set on location and stuff um we're getting that started to definitely happen towards the end of the gen like i feel like 2015 2016 was when it started to get cool to go film videos like in coachella valley yeah 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 and like everyone doing their like desert or that rock painting art exhibit Mm -hmm. shooting their music videos there and stuff yes yeah 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 but um so like dances of the third gen how do we feel about like choreo in third gen is there anything about it that sets it apart hmm well I do I mean I think you can argue this for almost every generation but I do think there's something to be said about like every generation ups the complexity of the choreo I also think in this gen you're getting some pretty big group like groups that have a lot of members in them um so Mm. uh you're getting a lot of like big formations and stuff like that. Um, man, I'm trying to think of like dances that like went viral. I don't know. I guess the only one I'm really, I have a small, yeah, I have a small list of some ones that like, I remember being viral or won dance performance Mm -hmm. awards at melons or mamas. And like, we have the crayon pop bar, bar, bar dance. Like, that was obviously its own whole thing because Crayon Pop was, like, super unique and it was a fun little jumpy dance. Everyone loves a jumpy dance. <laughs> also, <laughs> Block B's song, Her, oh yeah, was, like, crazy popular and it had a little, like, wiggly knee dance that was very fun to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Beast song, Fiction. Beast is a second-gen group, but they did this song, Fiction, where they had their hands in their pockets and they did this fancy footwork and that was like a huge deal Ooh, love a hands and pockets move the girls day song something mm. very sexy little bouncy lots of like boys covered it in drag like everyone learned it like that was a moment mm-hmm. red velvet's ice cream cake was one of those dances that it seemed like all of the idols were like learning to do on shows or whatever same with bts's i need you Everybody knew the choreo to that one. And then G-Friend song Rough was also insanely popular. And lots of people learned the dance to that one because it's wild. G-Friend dances were wild. We can take a second to talk about that. Because like G-Friend made 
princess disco anime credit music almost exclusively mm-hmm. until th- towards the end but they would do this very complicated sharp elbow kicky like choreo to these precious disco songs and it was so fascinating and so unique because it like it never seemed like it should go yes i agree somehow it did go somehow it was almost like i don't know like some little like a music box ballerina or something like to Mm -hmm. the anime credit music because yeah like the rough in particular i'm thinking of the like super dramatic strings like do 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 or whatever and you like there's the footwork was so intricate and the arms were so sharp but then you had so many like super soft spinny like figure skating turns and like layouts and like yes and the the like combination of styles in their choreo is was super unique I don't think any of the other like third gen girls were really making that kind of music or doing that style of choreo um and they they kind of made like they really really stuck to that concept so precisely for so long that was interesting um but yeah they were very different very different I also feel like I don't know if this is a dance that people necessarily all learned although I know the like main part of it is is you know like easy to know but growl exo growl is um, especially the music video is like so choreo focused and the music video is um like all one take um and the dance practice is filmed that way as well uh and that music video well I mean even like when we talked to blitzers like four of them mentioned exo growl as being something that made them want to be a dancer or something and I think that that's true of a lot of people who became idols in this fourth possibly like current fifth gen if you wanted to argue that I don't know for another episode for another time um but yeah I think that that one was super influential in getting people to want to become idols later on yeah I I meant to like I wasn't sure what metric to go by to judge it for but I meant to like look like what were some of the absolute biggest songs of this generation and I can say without even checking that growl would be extremely high if not the most important song of this generation Mm -hmm. because it was unbelievably popular yeah so 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 hugely popular i know like between growl and gangnam style (laughs) like i don't know yeah i feel Um, like those are probably some of the biggest ones from Mm -hmm. this time period absolutely absolutely as far as as reach and stuff Mm -hmm. i just always think of that sm interview where they're like growl built this building (laughs) yes he said that and I'm sure that it's true I'm sure that that one song absolutely bought a million dollar building yeah I believe it I mean XO was huge like this third gen uh, so many of the um the like what are they called like the records um or the Mm -hmm. like milestones that were made were were from XO and this gen they were quite huge yeah this was this was their moment this This was was their their time now they're all old men <laughs> yeah whose time has fathers passed. oh my god they are fathers of two. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow all right what else what else are some defining features of this generation so getting into how like fan culture 
might have changed or what it was based around in this time period. Um, I would say that this is the beginning of like streaming culture. Mm-hmm. We didn't quite have like Spotify yet. So that that part wasn't really part of it. But YouTube views were absolutely part of this generation. And like people were obsessed with YouTube views. I know they still are. Mm-hmm. But that was like a new part of K-pop fandom was that like during this generation is when People were like, okay, YouTube is a thing. Mm -hmm. And they started actually officially uploading music videos. (laughs) Totally. Because when they, at the beginning of this generation, a lot of the K-pop music videos were like fan re-uploads. And -hmm. like no one was officially putting music videos up. But then they started to. So then you get into your view count bullshit (laughs) yes and it's interesting to the way that that kind of took off because um and I know we have this as sort of like a fun fact later on but um I already mentioned it earlier like we all know Gangnam Style was absolutely enormous by Psy it came out in 2012 and that was one of the like first YouTube videos to reach like a billion views or something and it was so popular and was viewed so many times that it actually forced YouTube to change the way that it counted views um, because it like broke two billion views and they had to change the the like integer counter that they used. Make the counter. High. Yeah, they literally had to like recode it or whatever because it like wasn't working anymore. And that was in 2012, which is like kind of at the beginning of this generation. So definitely makes a big difference. Like once um, people are starting to like promote their music, like the YouTube views are suddenly important where I feel like in the second gen, they were not important at all and now they are for the first time um but i also read that uh the censorship rules changed in 2012 so music videos for the first time had to be had to go uh uh, through the censorship review system in order to be on like distributed online so that was really interesting like if you did not put your music video through the CRS, the censorship review system, then it was banned from being distributed online. Um, So you like had to submit it in order to even like put it on YouTube. So I don't know necessarily how that like affected what kind of music videos were made or like if what kind of effect that would have made on like the style of music videos that would have to be more of like a bit of a deep dive, um, which would be interesting to come back to later the effects of the censorship. But I also thought it was interesting because now like this gen is going to be under review in a way that the previous generations were not. And that includes music shows as well, because every single broadcasting station has their own censorship review committee. They all use the same system, but it's not all reviewed by the same people. And so that's why it seems like KBS or SBS or like music, whatever, they have slightly different censorship rules because they have different people doing the censorship Um, or like, they have different people like reviewing the materials and whatever um but so even like being able to play them and then even being able to like perform the songs for example like you had to now submit you had to submit the final version of the song you had to submit a final version of the lyrics with any english lyrics translated into korean um and then like if they didn't approve or whatever you had to um change the lyrics and then you could resubmit them so it was like a much longer process 
process to even like get shit on the air, which is interesting because I wonder if that also had an effect on like the companies and like how much money you're spending. And like, I don't know, it just seems like possibly in this generation, it became more complicated to distribute your music like you're gonna have to go through more hoops and steps because it is so much Mm. more popular now that it's like oh k-pop is so big now that we have to start making sure that these music videos are appropriate whereas before it like wasn't something that necessarily had to be under review so it's interesting right because, yeah, we've found that a lot of first-gen music videos are excessively violent mm-hmm. or, like, people are smoking cigarettes totally. in them. Like, things that you can't even do on drama. Or, like, second-gen boy group. Videos. Those second-gen boy groups where, like, the members of the group would literally die in the music video. And yes. they, like, <laughs> actually get bloodily stabbed. Like, we don't get any of that shit in the third-gen. Like, EXO is not being stabbed. <laughs> No one is going to watch BTS bleed out in an alley. (laughs) Yeah. No one wants it. No one wants that anymore. And now it's not allowed. More importantly, it's not allowed. (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. Um, Also, for fan culture, Instagram was launched in 2010. But by like 2012, it was on Android and iPhone and everyone had it. Mm. So starting in like 2012, then idols started getting Instagrams. Whereas, which is very interesting in that whole globalization and Hollywood of K-pop is that in previous generations, things like teaser images or selfies from idols or whatever would only be uploaded on like smtown.com or the fan cafes or whatever. And now it's like Instagram. Everyone can have Instagram Mm -hmm. and can follow you and see pictures. And so like, I think that definitely changes fan interaction in a way totally because that I feel like has sort of like a two-pronged effect in that one along with the YouTube like online distribution of music videos it's making it so much more accessible for international fans but two it's also making the idols themselves more accessible um, to like speak directly to their fans because like you know eventually they'll be able to do like Instagram lives or like whatever they could like respond back to a comment or like you can directly message them or whatever and so yeah it's definitely going to like make things easier for people outside of Korea to find and keep up with and like learn more about it but then it also changes the way that the idols are able to interact with their fans and vice versa so definitely getting a lot of I think a lot of the sort of pillars that make up current fan culture are definitely being constructed here in this third gen. Yeah. Um, Another thing that I thought was like an interesting, this is a TV show, but I feel like it's important to the fan culture Mm -hmm. in that the TV program Weekly Idol began airing in 2011. And I think that Weekly Idol is no longer as relevant as it used to be. Like, I know it's still on for whatever reason, but like I think in the third gen, Weekly Idol was a really important show. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of groups, it was kind of the only... It was the only promotion that you could do other than going on music shows because because YouTube shows weren't as popular and we didn't have our like journalism, like our Cosmopolitan 17 magazines doing like, you know, Monster X plays 20 questions like that kind of content did not exist. You got to go on Weekly Idol. Exactly. And that was kind of it. So like that show was really important Mm -hmm. for like 
a lot of reasons. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was like the only place where idols got to go and like play silly games and be kind of like a little bit more relaxed with the focus still being some kind of interview because you know like if they're gonna go on running man like it's not the same kind of vibe like you're they have an obstacle they have a like task to complete or something and being on running man means you're one of like 15 people including Mm -hmm. the regular cast that most people are there to watch totally and weekly idol it's like you're only the show the today show is about you unless it was one of those rookie episodes where they had like three groups but those episodes were really important to all of those rookie groups and like it was a popular show and it was a good way to get your face out there and it was like the source of so much fan content like i feel like if you watch you know like my favorite funny EXID moments or whatever, like from a third gen group. I feel like most of the clips are from Weekly Idol. Like that was the show where you got totally. your content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's where they got to be like goofy and it was just them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another thing that we've done a whole episode about and talked about a bunch of times, but it is a fan community thing, which is that KCON, the first KCON was in 2012. Yes. So... That's a physical gathering of uh, of K-pop fans, mostly in the United States, but all over the world. Yes, they are, they done. now have K-Cons all over the place, but it did start in the U.S. and California. More information on that in a whole episode dedicated to There's a whole episode it. about it. Um, also, we talked about this in episode 20, and I do think that it is definitely like used in a much stronger way in this current generation but v live was launched at like the end of the third gen mm. so it was the beginning of this new like live content yeah. app and now v live is so so important and is a whole different beast than it was back then but i think it's important totally. to note that's when it came about yeah well and coming out in 2015 I think that that sets up all of these groups that came out in the third gen to be the ones who can really like explore V Live on the ground floor because you know like the fourth gen groups that are just debuting after 2015 might not be the ones to hop on the V Live right away because you're going to want to guarantee that people are watching so someone so you know what i mean like a third gen more established group are going to be the ones that are probably going to start experimenting with the v lives yeah one of the first just a fun fact i'm sure we've said this before but one of the like first v lives ever was those shiny v lives where like mm-hmm. he and Mino are in the closet and onu and jonghyun are in the like dance practice room yes but that was like the sh- it started out as a very different platform than it has become mm-hmm. today. Absolutely. But, um, Absolutely. Yeah. And another thing that I thought was interesting to note, because in this section for all of the other generation episodes we've talked about, like in the first gen, they wore their picture capes and they had their balloons. And in the second gen, like Big Bang invented light sticks. But the third gen, like heightening of that, is when EXO launched their Bluetooth-enabled light sticks, which is now the standard, Mm -hmm. I feel like, is that most companies do Bluetooth on their light sticks so that you can do the crazy synchronized color show at the concert. Mm -hmm. And and you sync them up to the the costume lights. I mean, the stage lights. Yeah, it's so cool. It's so cool. 
I know we were surprised at the Twice concert that they were. I don't know if the light sticks are not Bluetooth synced, but they did not sync up during the concert. And I thought that was interesting because I was like, oh, it's. I feel like it's been a while since I've seen a concert where they yes, didn't light them. Yeah, like even at the Super M concert where everybody had the different group light sticks, like those. Still that was synced. my favorite. That was yeah. my absolute favorite. Was at the Super M show that there were five different light sticks in play and they all synced anyway. Yeah, so fun. That was really cool. And even at KCon, the, like the last couple times we went to KCon, oh, yeah. they gave everybody a wrist bracelet, um, and that synced. Up. Those were all synced up. Um, so yeah, that's definitely definitely a thing. So speaking of concerts, um, any notable. Th- concerts or anything that's different about concerts in third gen as opposed to I don't the know I don't know about things that are necessarily different but I feel like we're getting more concerts we're getting bigger concerts and we're getting bigger tours because mm-hmm. in terms of the Hollywood wave like now that we're in the third gen we have a pretty solid international fan base even outside of Asia and so like we're starting to get more regular US tours not necessarily like Yes, of the individual groups, but also of like, uh, you know, a music bank festival that's in a different country or like the K-Cons where they're bringing in big names or like the international music festivals are bringing in the K-pop artists as well. Um, But yeah, there are definitely some notable concerts. Um, Perhaps our favorite being (laughs) the one in October 2011. We had SM Town at Madison. Square Garden and I know we've definitely talked about this concert before but that like you were just saying is interesting that like I think the interesting thing about the third gen is that these groups are definitely like coming to more places than they used to but like you said they need you need like multiple groups to justify the venues like 2011 you need every Mm -hmm. single artist at SM in order yes. to sell out Madison Square Garden. I think NCT did Madison Square Garden by themselves the like a couple yeah, months yeah, ago. Yeah. Like totally. Now we're at a point where the groups don't even need to do compilation shows and they can be in these huge venues. Mm-hmm. But at this time it was like we can get a huge venue if we make it a festival. Yes. And bring everyone. Yeah, that was interesting. I tried to look up some sort of like general concert info for each year just to get an idea of like concerts outside of Asia, outside of Korea, like how often were they each year and like in 2011 there were only three outside of Asia there was a Korean music festival in LA there were two SM town performances and there was one JYJ tour and that was the only artist that toured outside of Asia in 2011 interesting and then in 2012 just the very next year we had 19 artists or events that had shows outside of Asia six of them were tours and all the rest of them were festivals but then in even in the next year so then the next year they're just going to start growing like 2013 we had 25 shows 11 of them are tours 2014 we had 27 shows and 13 are tours so it's just like getting bigger and bigger and bigger and now like you said like a group like nct which is a bit of a cusper like they can sell out madison square garden all on their own Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. interesting 
But uh, some other notable concerts, I did see that like in November and December of 2012, Big Bang became the first Korean artist to perform at three of the Japanese domes in one tour during their Big Bang Alive mm. Galaxy tour. Um, we've talked a lot about the dome concerts. They're a very big deal and a very big marker um, of success when touring Japan. Um, and in 2014, I wrote this down because I couldn't believe that it happened. But apparently... I still... I'm still sad. I couldn't. I remember this so well. Sorry. Go on. Go on. <laughs> Los Angeles had a free, free concert that included Shiny, 2 p.m., Infinite, Sistar, Girls' Day, Sea and Blue, and Dynamic Duo. It was like some, it was for the anniversary of something, and it was like a collaboration between different like Korean community groups in California or in Los Angeles but the concert was freaking free it was free y'all yeah, I remember this I remember this so well because similarly to my wedding getting in the way of a shiny concert <laughs> this concert was very close to my friend Vanessa's wedding and I was still living in Texas at the time I didn't even live in LA but I was trying to figure out how I could possibly like get to LA for 24 hours and like come back <laughs> for a wedding. And I was like way too poor to try to do that at the time. And I was like really sad about it. But I also remember feeling like kind of okay with it and like that it was okay because Mino was still the M yes. Countdown host at the time. So he didn't even come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just brought four shinies because he was too busy emceeing to even show up. And they went to Six Flags without him. Yep. <laughs> yes. I remember, I remember so us. Well. I remember us rationalizing to ourselves that it was okay that we missed it because Mino wasn't there. Yes. <laughs> um, I also saw that BTS did like a three city little tour in 2015 that was called the Highlight Tour, and that the whole thing was like an absolute disaster. Oh no! And that the promoters like oversold the shows by like hundreds of tickets oh, shit. so people were just like waiting outside in the street and they were like oh sorry you can't come in it's full so then they promised all the people in the line that they would get to take like a high touch photo and so then they like crammed them all in a room and had bts like sit on the floor oh, and the staff was screaming at everybody and like i don't know it just sounded like, <laughs> like a, a mess true nightmare wow oh man yeah that sounds terrible but now they get to sell out like full stadiums and be i'm sure nobody mm -hmm. treats them like that anymore <laughs> it's all fine oh yeah never never <laughs> Um, the only other thing I wrote down for our concerts in this gen um, and just kind of shows like the growth that happens because like you mentioned in 2012 is when KCON starts and as we mentioned in our episode about KCON they started as just a one day event like out in Anaheim which is outside of LA like near Disneyland um, and then in 2015 the event moved to the Staples Center in downtown LA and became a three day event. So just three years later, they were big enough to be able to sell out the Staples Center and extend their event to be three days. Pretty cool stuff. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Pretty, pretty All right, cool. let's talk about some things that are not cool. Yeah. Tell us about some controversies that happened during this gen. Yes, we... We always have to talk about this gen's controversy, uh, the controversies of the generation. And I will say, like, a lot of them didn't make it to this list because, I don't know, in that way that time goes on, 
a lot of really big controversies that happened during this time were happening to first gen mm, idols. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, you know what I mean? Like now those first gen idols are 35 and have gambling problems or mm-hmm. whatever. And so like totally that's a lot of the controversies. So I tried to find things that were slightly more like relevant. Second, but... third gen members. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like the Tiara bullying scandal was in 2012. We went all into that in the Tiara episode. Uh, 2013 was when all K-pop published Ailey's Nudes. We talked about that in the journalism episode. I believe believe. so. I believe so. And then I'm just going to run through these in like a quick list because maybe someday we can do an episode and dive into all of these things a little deeper. But a lot of fans consider 2014 to be, quote, the worst year in K-pop. And here is just a small like there are more things that could yeah. go on this list, but here is a small list of things that happened in 2014. We had our EXO lawsuit, most popular boy group. Once again, like TVXQ, everyone's leaving. Ladies, the girl group Ladies Code got in a car crash and two of the members died. Mm-hmm. There was a tragedy at a Songnam festival, a music festival, where 16 fans died when a floor collapsed during a four-minute concert. Uh, Park Baum had her drug scandal and, like, more or less got removed from 21. Sully had her dating scandal and more or less got removed from FX. Mm -hmm. Jessica was kicked out of SNSD. Glam, Big Hit's only girl group, had their huge blackmail scandal where they blackmailed an actor. And we talked about that when we got them in the random game, but I don't remember what episode that was. But we've definitely talked about Glam before. I think it was in a shortest, I think the shortest lived group. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The whole Glam scandal, maybe. Totally. Because Big Hit, like, never had a girl group again until this year. Um, Let's see. Lee Tuck from Super Junior's dad did a murder-suicide that year. Oh, uh, fuck. I don't think I knew that. That's messed up. It's really messed up. Double uh, S 501, Kim Hyun Joon. That was the beginning of his whole domestic violence case with his baby mama. Mm. BAP sued their company for slave contract stuff. Uh, members Ji Young and Nicole left the girl group Kara, and then the company had a reality show to pick new members. Yeah. And that's just a small list of things that happened in like one year of K-pop. So people were like very yeah. sad and overwhelmed and worried like all the time because every day it was like something crazy seemed to happen. Yeah, and like it's like one right after the other. So many different idols are being affected by so many different scandals like it's not the same thing happening over and over you know what I mean like there's a wide with the recent bullying scandal totally all these people are in trouble for the same thing yes but But no this is like a lawsuit a car crash drugs dating blackmail like so much different stuff um and so that would Mm -hmm. like I get why people would be on edge of like you never know what's going to happen next or who it's going to be at or who it's going to affect like oof yeah, yeah, yeah. Yikes. So that was supposedly the worst year ever in K-pop 2014. Um, and we've discussed this before, but in 2015, one of the big news is was that UKIS member Eli had a secret family and had been married for like years and years to a woman who was nine years older than him. And they had a kid and stuff. They are divorced now, Ooh, by the way. Bummer. But like 
that was a big that was our like you know our secret k-pop baby daddy of the of the moment i gotta go home to my wife and four kids yeah that's so funny um i also saw that in 2015 oh my girl was detained in Los Angeles by U.S. Customs on suspicion of being sex workers. The group was traveling to the U.S. in order to shoot an album cover, um, but they were detained at the airport for 15 hours after the authorities got suspicious of their costumes and props. And there was, like, an official statement from their company that they put out, like, saying that they believe that that's why they were detained, like, because they thought they were sex workers, but also that there may have been a problem with some of the girls visas and like that's part of the reason why it took so long um but I couldn't find what because it said that they had been going to LA to like shoot this album cover and then they had also been booked at some like to perform somewhere and I don't but then the article ended by saying that there was no word on whether or not they would complete their album shoot. So I don't know if they ever got to actually continue on and do the the events that they had planned in L.A. or if they had to turn around and go back. I don't really know the details of how that was resolved. But I just thought that was fascinating, especially because I think a group of, you know like six or seven young Korean girls or Korean boys nowadays with suitcases full of costumes and props. Like, I don't think that they would get detained by sex workers as sex workers. You know what I mean? Like that kind of K-pop is so popular now that that kind of confusion I think would be very rare. Um, But yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting to show the, yeah, crazy story, crazy story. Uh, And reflective of how, of how much it has grown, become more popular. Mm -hmm. Um, so moving on to talk a bit about concepts in the third, in the third generation. And I think that one of the strongest examples of a unique third gen thing is groups having lore. Yeah, totally. Um, starting with like EXO and their superpowers. And then I know groups like BTS have like really complicated through lines of their music videos even infinite which i put it as a cusper group had remember all of their music videos like l always died in the music videos and it was like somehow like i don't know this idea of like a group being more than like these are six cute boys and this one likes soccer and this one likes drums it's like they're actually from another planet. Like adding this level of like mystery and giving a reason to make fans watch music videos a bazillion times. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know, just making the whole thing more complicated. Totally. And SM in particular loves their lore bullshit because then you have like EXO with all of their powers and you have like Red Velvet with all of their murders and then you have NCT with all of their bullshit and it's just like oh my god how much more complicated can we get like I'm terrified to see what what SM puts out as a fifth generation group (laughs) like what will happen after NCT what will they birth I don't want to know no idea (laughs) Um, but yeah lore is definitely like a very third gen thing yeah to make things really complicated and as discussed earlier i thought it was interesting that the vast majority of boy groups from this time period debuted with the exact same drop crotch flat build hat concept <laughs> like all of them yep. i don't it's so funny to me that they like they all just had the exact the exact same idea mm-hmm. like this is what cool boys are yeah 
Um, and another thing that I think is really uh, not unique, yeah, actually maybe unique to the third gen because it's not happening anymore, is extremely sexy girl group concepts. Yeah. Like borderline pornographic girl group concepts was so prevalent in this time period. Mm. Like Stellar and Nine Muses and Hello Venus and whatever. Asses out like banned totally. music videos that's why i was curious about that uh censorship thing you said is because like this is the time period where everyone was making the naughtiest music videos mm-hmm. and they're up on youtube i'm sure they never aired on tv totally but like yeah it's just kind of curious because yeah they were there were very sexy girl groups and now there are no sexy girl yes groups. it's true and I, I i almost wonder if there's a correlation of like the a lot of like sexy girl groups or something or like maybe like concepts for music videos were getting sexier especially when you think about like sistar as a second gen girl group because the other second gen girl groups like if you think of the two other biggest ones would be like to anyone in girl and girls generation and they don't neither of them they have very different concepts obviously but neither of them do like overtly sexy things and then you Mm -hmm. have sistar that is like buns out always and so maybe like with the increasingly sexy concepts the review committees were kind of like we got to start looking at these music videos like what's happening over here (laughs) and then yeah I totally agree like um even just looking at this list right off the top like there are like EXID was always sexy AOA was always sexy like girls day uh, nine muses like always sexy um and yeah we really don't get that kind of concept of girl groups anymore and I it's it's interesting because it's like regard like they had more I don't know of like this concept is that they are sexy women as opposed to they are cute girls or cool girls or something like that. Like we really don't get, mm. I can't think of a, a girl group right now that has a concept where it's like, we are sexy women and not in the sense that no, like twice I, and red velvet are like grown sexy women. But I mean, in the sense of like, you know, sister, like doing the leg dance or like girls day with their slits up to the thighs, doing something with their feathers or whatever, like that kind of shit doesn't Mm -hmm. really, those are not the girl groups that are being produced nowadays. Yeah. Mm. And I, I, yeah, I I wonder in a like philosophical sense, like why that Mm -hmm. is like, is that some kind of like inadvertent in inadvertent rejection of the male gaze that it's mm. like no we're not going to make these kinds of groups anymore mm-hmm. but at the same time i feel like a lot of the like girl crush cool young girl groups are still like dr- underdressed or like doing too totally. sexy of moves it's like they're trying to present a concept that's like tough cool girl mm-hmm. but they're hiding weird sexualization yeah, in there or like that it's makes still me curious totally like it's still you know like oh you you're wearing like workout gear because you're supposed to just be cool girls and this is for other cool girls but then you're dropping into the wop and i'm thinking who's that for because it's not for me yes but i guess we'll have to dive more into that analysis in five years when we get to our fourth gen yeah we'll see we'll see um but yeah i i feel like overall like the third gen does just truly like feel like an extension of the second gen and like we said at the beginning because so many of these groups 
are lasting so much longer. It feels like the groups themselves then get to go through generation eras. Mm-hmm, totally. And like, you know, move with, throughout with the times. Yeah, and it's also interesting to look at, like, the groups that came out in the beginning of this um, generation and the groups that came out toward the end. And you see, like, you know, at the beginning, you have, like, Infinite and EXO and Block B and Crayon Pop. And, like, these are groups that didn't necessarily have a lot of, like, freedom in creating their own image or music and then toward the end of the group you have people like 17 and like pentagon and uh like mamamoo and i think that those groups had much more of a say in who they are and like who they eventually became um and so like you see groups like exo like eventually get creative control of them but now even in the like later half of the third gen you're seeing groups that are starting out with more creative control and that starts to set a precedent a precedent that gets taken into the fourth gen I think of like more self-producing groups um, or groups that have a handle in some piece of their own music at least way more so than we ever saw in second gen Um, because like most second gen groups like they had to like earn the privilege to have a say in their shit to write one song exactly (laughs) exactly or like choose one outfit or whatever (laughs) but yeah um, just some like ending, I guess, fun facts yeah. about the generation. Um, well, like I said before, like the censorship laws changed right at the beginning. So that caused an interesting like ripple ripple effect um but then also in 2012 i saw that girls generation so like again this is a a record that is being set by a second gen group but it's happening in the third gen and i'm going to be like opening doors for other third gen groups um but girls generation becomes the first k-pop group to appear on u.s late night tv and a morning show they appeared on the late night show or the whatever late late whatever it was with david letterman and then they did the morning show live with kelly um and that's something that happens way more often now like I can think of like four different groups that have been on morning talk shows um, oh yeah god bless Kelly Clarkson our new k-pop yes. theme like having every group on her show I love that that like the the merging of like Kelly Clarkson and k-pop is so good to me yeah and she's <laughs> so delightful and like so excited to have everybody on her show that it's like always very pleasant and adorable <laughs> It's like those, it's like that morning talk show with the the two ladies who like absolutely adore. Remember when Monster X was on there oh my and they God, like those New York fell in love with them? So nice. Yeah, yes. they're great. They're great. I love them. Um, like we mentioned also Gangnam Style came out in 2012. So um, that was huge, brought a lot of international eyes to K-pop for the first time. Um, and Psy became the first Korean artist to perform at the American Music Awards. Um, and then the year 2014 set a whole bunch of Hollywood Wave records. Um, for one, like that was when the YouTube had to change their, the YouTube, that was when YouTube <laughs> had to change their counter because of Psy. Um, But also, I saw that 2014 was the first time that two K-pop artists ever appeared on the Billboard 200 at the same time. So every other time an artist has been on the Billboard before this, it was only ever one at a time. Um, But in 2014, To Anyone's Crush and Girls' Generation's Mr. Mr. were both on the Billboard 200. And now I think that there's K-pop on these U.S. and digital and world charts so much. I bet you nowadays there's probably like never less than 15 and that feels like I'm being conservative like 
There's probably yeah. at least 15 K-pop songs on the Billboard 200 at all times. Because I know for a fact that, like, the ARMY keep, like, three different BTS songs, like, up in the charts at all times. Constantly. Always, no yeah, yeah, what. yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's funny to think about that, too. <laughs> Yes, to think about a time where there was only two. I know, it's crazy. I had to write it down. I was like, holy shit, the world is truly a different place now. Yeah, it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, those are our musings about what we think sets the third generation um, apart from the generations before and after it. And then mm-hmm. we'll, we'll revisit this in a, in a couple more years and see how the fourth generation shook out. Yeah, and I'm very intrigued to get to that fourth gen episode eventually and like dive into these cuspers of like the end mm-hmm. and the beginning of the fourth gen because I just find that re- the the transition phase I think is really fun and interesting. Yeah, it's very fascinating. I was going to say I just like thought it was so funny that only four years ago it was like, it's too close. I literally can't speak on it. Yeah. It's still happening. And then, like, now I'm like, ah, oh, no. It's it's clear from here, like, mm-hmm. that things had already started to change. But I felt so unconfident four years ago to be like, we're in a fourth gen already, because it didn't feel as clear as it feels now. Totally. I mean, even when we thought about doing this, like, a couple weeks ago or whatever, when we were, like, planning out our next, you know, month or so of, of content and decided to do this episode, I was a little bit nervous because I was like, what if I am still too entrenched in my third gen to, like, take a step back and look at it from, mm-hmm. you know, above or whatever, try to get that overall view. Um, but then when I sat down, I was like, oh, actually, no, like, the world is very different now and like the the, yeah. the landscape of k-pop has changed so much that it is really clear and easy to see um the delineations i think yeah so this was fun to take a look at and uh yeah i think it's great and neat that so many of our third gen groups are like still with us yeah still that's fun and even some and even a huge amount of second gen groups are still around. I just love that K-pop longevity like gets, gets uh, grows exponentially. All the time. Yeah, I agree. I yeah, because it's really weird and almost like sad to think about how I mean, not that any of them were that great. But, <laughs> but so many of those first gen groups, like the fact that like Sexkeys was a group for like three years. Yes. It's so crazy. Yeah, it is really nuts to think about it now and then to think of like, oh, their whole career only lasted that long. Like what? It's so strange. Yeah. So I'm glad groups stick around longer. Me too. And yeah, looking looking forward to revisiting this down the line but this was a fun little look at a fun time in k-pop the time that i joined Mm k-pop so like this is my even though i like mostly second gen groups i feel like i'm a third gen era stan because that's when i got involved yeah well we started listening like right at the beginning of the third gen but then like you said you know like a lot of the groups that were the biggest were from the second gen so like you know, but so we got into it and started listening to them when they were already established and had like been on the scene for at least five years already. So it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, hope you enjoyed that little discussion and we'll be right back with our random game. All right, we are back. And I had the random number generator choose third gen 
from the third gen range only, and they gave us AOA debuted in 2012. Yes, they are. They were originally an eight-member group from FNC Entertainment, um, and they lasted until 2020. Um, I think is is when they're like listed as being disbanded. Um, and by the time they the group ended, they only had three members. Um, but AOA stood for Ace of Angels, um, and they were originally debuted as like a dance group and band. Um, but then in 2015, they had like moderate success for the first couple of years. And then 2015, their song Heart Attack debuted at the top of several charts. It became one of the most downloaded songs of the year and one of the longest charting singles on Melon's Top 100 chart. Um, so that like really launched and secured their popularity. Um, and then I feel like for me, the thing I think about AOA with the most is, and like their deep dive, they're on the deep dive list. So we'll dive more into their, we'll get, we'll, there. We'll get more detailed on them later. But the thing I always think of, of AOA, I feel like they had a ton of like subunits and like different groups and things like that. Cause they like orange care units, only two black. Yeah. AOA cream. And oh, AOA I'm thinking black. of after school. I'm thinking of after school. Because they had a whole bunch of different, like, groups and combos and shit. Oh, wait, they had three. Shit. AOA White, AOA White, AOA okay, they Cream, had and AOA Black. They had okay, three. that's and a lot. That's a lot of... we talked about all of them in our subunit episode. We definitely, like, took a moment for all of them. Yes, we did. We did, we did. Um, but, yeah, so, like I said, we'll get more into them later um, because they can do absolutely a whole... Um, we can do a whole... Um, deep dive episode on them so just overall they released three studio albums one compilation album 21 music videos six eps 19 singles and four promotional singles so quite a large discography for aoa yeah they got a lot of music out while they could my favorite of their songs will always be like a cat (laughs) that little like kitty cat choreo is so good um yeah and aoa was absolutely 100 percent one of these extremely sexy not as far as like like stellar was and like i think feistar there were a couple that were like yes that Whoa. were just like oh so many so but many aoa bucks. was definitely like a sexy sexy group and I remember my, like, introduction to them was uh, watching We Got Married International or Global or whatever it was called when Heechel was married to that really nice Japanese actress. Mm-hmm. And he, like, she took him to go see AOA and he was, like, literally, like, the wolf in, like, a cartoon, like, <laughs> buggy, heart eyes, like, tongue out, like, like acting <laughs> fucking crazy around AOA. And they did, like, their sexy dance for him, and he was freaking out. Wow. So that was my introduction to them. But Well, all right. Uh, We are going to watch a great example of their sexy grown concept, uh, which is Miniskirt. It is their most watched music video with 91 million views. So if you'd like to check it out with us, you can pull up AOA Miniskirt and press play when I say go. Three, two... One, go. All right, we've got. Right, a, we're starting on a crotch shot. Yeah, some- crotch Jeez. shot of the teeniest, tiniest shorts. A girl in a white button-up getting back into bed. 
very gauzy mm-hmm. dreamy filter on this mm. Ooh. Oh, here they okay are. so now we have our dance so we're going back and forth between dance set box set and then in a house Ooh, floor choreo right away but yes, the the concept of this one was absolutely like stockings and stiletto heels. Like it was kind of like office sexy. Yes. Like business like sexy. They look like hot secretaries or something. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, and because their skirts are not super short, they're like sort of mid high mid thigh where when they bend over you can see the top of their thigh high stockings but it's not like right under the butt mini skirt (gasps) zippy choreo the dress unzips (laughs) (laughs) yeah see the 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 butt focus on this is very much and the sexy eating aoa choreo Mm -hmm. is wild yeah aoa is like a queen of an s line Oh, sexily taking her shoes off in the car. Yeah, everything about this is just very, like, sensual. And, mm. and they seem really, like, they seem rich. And they seem cool. And, and expensive. They, like, yes, expensive. And and very, like, shoes classy. are great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All these, like, slick, tight dresses. Mm, okay. Sexy cream eating. <laughs> Sexy whipped cream licking. A lot of long legs. Showing off your long legs. A little bit of some crotch choreo. Ooh. Ripping the... Tear away that skirt. Yeah. Ripping the fabric away. There's also a part of the choreo where they stand in a line and they are holding each other's butts as they wiggle their hips in a circle. I do like, though, because I think it's like one of my favorite things when a K-pop concept or the choreo requires a special outfit, like that both of their little choreo outfits have a zip because mm-hmm. they need to unzip the skirt as part of the choreography. Totally. I think stuff like that is the funnest. Chairs! Yes! Oh, they're all getting naked. Oh. Yeah, the other scenes, they're all taking things off. Oh, somebody's getting into the bath. Ooh la la. <gasps> wow. Oh my goodness. It is sensual. I'm scandalized. <gasps> Gossip! Wow. Oh my god, these ending poses! They're so sexy. Was it all a dream? A she's sexy, ha- she looks sexy like she's having dream. a sexy dream. Who's, who <laughs> takes a nap in jean shorts? That's how you get a yeast infection. What? And then this cat just comes to wake her up? What the fuck? Wait, what? Like a cat? Oh, because that, yeah, that was probably the song right before or right after it. So maybe it's a little teasy. Okay, it's very funny that that super sexy music video ends with her snuggling and kissing an objectively ugly orange cat. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's hilarious. I love it. Well, that was fun. And I do look very forward. I look very forward to looking into AOA someday because I think that 
the vast majority of their songs were bangers mm-hmm. and they were like super hot, but they had so much like internal turmoil. Totally. And their most popular member like left to have a boyfriend and then like one of them was a bully and like it's got lots of fun intrigue. Yes, we're going to have so much uh so much interesting like gossip and drama to dive into with AOA. I feel like that's one of the reasons I didn't ever try to get into them like when I first started listening to K-pop because I was like kind of like EXO where I was like ooh a lot of weird shit is happening with this group like they seem complicated (laughs) and I think that's how I felt with AOA too I was like y'all are complicated I don't know about you yeah very fair very fair uh all right that means it is weekly recommendation time do you have anything to recommend? I just checked the Patreon recommendations and I got nothing from the listeners. And mm. I definitely have not taken in anything new since last week. I was just watching third gen stuff for this episode. <laughs> I know. I was just thinking, I was like, maybe there's something from the third gen that I could recommend instead. And I I think I'm just going to make a general recommendation that is probably one we've made similarly before. But I think that it's a great idea to just type in your favorite third gen group and weekly idol and like see what kind of episodes and clips exist um, because it's so fun. The show is still on now, um, but especially seeing like those early seasons, um, it's just a really great time always. And if you've never watched a weekly idol episode before, um, it's really fun. A lot of them are available on YouTube or, you know, like some of our other more favorite secretive websites, um, but you should be able to find it fairly yes. easily. Um, and it's a good, good time. Like some of our favorite things like uh, and some things that I think you as like even a newer fan would recognize, like, for example, the two times speed dance or like a roller coaster dance or something like that where they change the speeds or even just doing uh the like dance the random dance at any point or whatever like all Mm. of those things started on Weekly Idol. Um, So it's a good time if you've never watched it. I thought of something I could recommend. Great. I like that. I have to stop. Sorry to stop and acknowledge your recommendation. <laughs> it is good. I like that. Watch Weekly Idol. It's good for you. And there's like 12 years of archived episodes. Totally. You find it. It was great. But something I did watch this week that I enjoyed is I saw a video. Uh, it's a YouTube channel that I follow. It's, it's K-pop adjacent. Not really. The YouTube channel is called Jolly. And it is the friend-based YouTube channel of the Korean Englishman, Josh Carrot, who, like, makes Korean culture videos. Anyway, he did a video with Woosung, a.k.a. Sammy from the Rose. Okay. Or current solo artist Woosung. Uh, they did a video where uh, Woosung took uh, Josh and his co-host out to, like, really fancy LA dinner and told them his like life story and like going on K-pop star and being a trainee and a and living in a windowless room and then like busking with the rose and like getting turned into a real group and now he's a solo artist. He just like talked a lot about his journey and it was endlessly fascinating. He's very very charming. Um so that video is called Woosung tells his insane life story over A5 Wagyu and it's on the Jolly YouTube channel. Uh, but I thought it was a nice little interview and I didn't know much about him at all and I found him 
extremely charming in the video. Nice. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. I love his voice. He has like such a sexy, raspy singing voice and his solo stuff is very slutty mm-hmm. and fun. Um, so I'm glad to hear that he's also charming because I find his music videos charming as well. Yeah. Um, well, that is it for this week. Uh, if you would like to get in contact with us, we can be found at Pod on Twitter and Instagram, amakpoppod at gmail.com for an email. You can call or text us, 181-AMAKPOP5, um, P.O. Box 26096, Los Angeles, California, 90026 for regular old mail, patreon.com slash Pod for bonus episodes um when angelica gets home from vacation i will make her watch the last episode of queendom i haven't watched it i know who won but i haven't watched it because i'm saving it for you oh so sweet um so we can do the final queendom episode and then when that is up i will have the video version of last week's episode where we watched all of your submissions for uh the one k-pop video yes and that's just a companion piece to the episode we put out Mm -hmm. so it's not the same audio it is a reaction video of us actually watching all the videos that got sent in so last week we just discussed them but the patreon video will be us sitting down and watching them for the first time for some yeah so join patreon if you want to check that out along with all kinds of other fun video and audio bonus content we have on there Next week, we will be telling you about our time at the Monster X concert that has been put off and rescheduled so many times. I'm telling y'all, I bought these tickets in 2019. That is so it's finally bananas. Happening. It's so bananas that you bought these tickets so you bought them so long ago that we're down a member. Or it was it was February 2020. It was February 2020, but it was so Either long way, ago. it's but last been time we so saw, long that the lineup is different so now. Yes. And last time we saw Monster X, either. there were seven people. And this time we will only see five people. Yeah, that's pretty nuts. <laughs> Which is pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy. But I got floor seats for the first time in my life. Yes. So look forward to us ex- describing what that's like. Hell yeah, it's um, going to be great. And also in future concert episode news, the K-pop gods shined upon me and we will be seeing Seventeen for the fourth time this summer. I'm so excited. I can't believe that we have the opportunity to see Seventeen so many times. I know. It's such a blessed are we. (laughs) So blessed. It's because our love is good and pure. Yep. And the K-pop gods shine upon us. Um, but thanks for tuning in and we will see you next week and y'all are the best and love you and goodbye. Goodbye. Jonghyun, you're our inspiration. 